Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast. This is going to be a little bit of a disjointed episode, I guess you could say. I'm going to play some music for you, do some talking with you or to you, and then I'm going to wrap up today's show by just letting the last episode of Metal Raps, which is a show I do with Mitch Joel and Mitch LaFon, I'm just going to actually play that in its entirety at the end of to today's episode so there you have it let's start things off with some music bruce bouillet formerly of the scream a band that also had john Karabi in it before he joined motley crew and of course bruce was also in the great band racer x he's released a ton of great solo records and a very talented engineer, as well as, of course, a guitar player. Just amazing guitar player. One of the one of my favorite albums this year is "The Order of Control" by Bruce Bouillet, and this song is off that record. It's called "Deafening."
Bruce Bouillet, The Order of Control. Is the name of the record, the name of that song is Deafening. I'm trying to, to decide if I'm going to do a top 10 list this year. I'm not sure. Really, I'm not sure. I, I probably should, but I always feel like I miss stuff. And You know, my top 10 lists are, are the albums that I truly enjoyed. I, I do get sent CDs. I get sent tons of download links. And I don't just simply don't have the time of day to check them all, you know, and listen to them all. I wish I did. But certain records, of course, I do listen to like that one and like this one, the Red Dragon Cartel self-titled record. Also one of my favorites of 2014. I know a lot of you guys heard me on the last episode saying I was going going to see them out in Las Vegas. So I'm going to tell you all about that after we hear this song. It's called Deceived.
Red Dragon Cartel with Deceived off the self-titled Red Dragon Cartel album that came out in early 2014. It's a great record through and through. Maria Brink does some vocals on it as well as Paul Diano, Robin from Cheap Trick, Robin Zander from Cheap Trick. Great record if you haven't heard it. I really think every song kicks ass. I love it. And as many of you know, I was uh, the last episode. I was about to head out the door to go to Las Vegas with my wife, which we did. The plan was to see Kiss on the twenty second of November, and then see the Red Dragon cart- Cartel on the twenty third of November. Fly back at five in the morning to uh, on Monday to get home in time for our kids getting home from school. We, you know, so I won't go into the personal details of how all that was working, but it was a little, little complicated. Luckily, the flight didn't run late. But however, the Red Dragon Cartel show, which I had pre, I had pre-bought tickets for, they were ten dollars each, was late. The tickets said nine thirty, and again, we're we're functioning on East Coast time in Las Vegas, so that's like twelve thirty to us. Called the club, they were like, "Oh well." You know, they're not going to go on until 1130, which would have meant they probably weren't going to go on until 12. This is a Sunday night. I find it unbelievable that a band would go on that late. And and it was at a club that vamps, which I isn't it's isn't like it's right on the strip or something. It was a good 20 minute drive from the from the strip. At least so I was told we never made it to the club. We never used the tickets that we had bought in advance because we had to literally leave for the airport at like 3.30, 4 a.m. from our hotel, which would have meant getting possibly one hour of sleep that night or no hours of sleep. So we blew off Red Dragon Cartel, which, believe it or not, guys, this is the second time I had tickets for Red Dragon Cartel this year, and I did not see them. Many of you heard Earlier this year, I had uh, tickets to see them in Teaneck, New Jersey, and they canceled the show the day of. And here, I I basically canceled going to the show in Las Vegas, which is, I, on the one hand, too bad. But on the other hand, what we did was we went and saw Kiss again. So I basically saw the sh- the residency show for Kiss on the... 22nd, and then we saw the final night of their residency at the joint in Las Vegas, Hard Rock Cafe. We saw that show too, and both shows were just great. We had we ended up getting tickets. Uh, you know, I had front row for the 22nd. Then somehow, I mean, the show seemed sold out or close to sold out. I guess it wasn't sold out because I bought tickets that night. You know, but I guess some seats had been re-released back into the box office. At least that's what I was told. And they were just excellent, excellent seats. Fifth row for the second night, which in some ways the sound was better in the fifth row because you were back a little bit behind behind the actual PA, you know, where on the first night we were just sandwiched up against the the stage on Gene's side of the stage. And I felt like all, all I was hearing was bass. But nonetheless, it, it was... It was awesome. Both nights had a great time. Highly recommend you go see Kiss if they ever come back. 
to do another residency in Las Vegas. The rumor is Ozzy's going to do one there. We'll see if that happens. But if he does that, I'm going to have to figure out a way to get back there and check that out because that would be a lot of fun. And Vegas, it's just, I love that town. I love that town. I hadn't been there in like six years, so it was great to get back to it. All right, let's keep the music rolling. As soon as I'm done doing this podcast, my wife and I are going to watch this DVD. It's actually a CD and DVD. It's White Snake live in 84 off Frontiers, uh, the label Frontiers. Back to the bone. 30-year anniversary of this concert. And it comes with a CD and a DVD. This is off the CD version. This is called Snakeskin Boots, the best of the bootlegs CD. And this is the classic, Guilty of Love.
Little White Snake here on Talking Metal. I'm drinking a Blue Point Long Island brew here right now. I appreciate you guys listening to the show. I wanted to cover a couple things because I had an email that came in where somebody was confused by all the different options that now exist for the Talking Metal podcast. Talking Metal is now a complete network. It's Talking Metal Digital. We have, I guess, five shows. We have Talking Rock. We have Talking Metal. Again, Talking Metal comes out every Tuesday. Sometimes it's a day late, but usually every Tuesday. We have One-on-One with Mitch LaFon, which comes out twice a week. It's a show I produce with Mitch. I edit every episode, and I usually co-host them, too. Again, that's One-on-One with Mitch LaFon, so check that out if you haven't heard that. And we have Mars Attacks, which had been in hiatus for a while. It's now back. And Metal Raps, again, which I'm going to play you the latest episode of Metal Raps at the end of this episode of Talking Metal. So, yeah, Talking Metal is a full podcasting network, if you will. Now, we also, in addition to those shows, we release a non-music version of Talking Metal because certain podcast distributors do not like it when you play music on, on the show. So what we do is we pull all the music out, And it's funny because we're actually getting quite a bit of subscribers to the non-music version, which I've heard complaints from both ends, you know, when we don't play music, like I've even gotten complaints. You didn't play a track going into the interview, which means I didn't know what the band sounded like, which means I didn't know if I wanted to listen to the interview. So I get that. A lot of people like having the music for educational purposes and just because you like listening to the music. Uh, I also get that a lot of people don't like having the uh, the music. I've had that too. They like it better when we're talking, when I'm talking, when John and I are talking, when I'm talking with one of the co-hosts, which is, we've had a lot of co-hosts here lately since John has been working with Ace. Not only is he Ace's personal assistant at the moment, he's also Ace's tour manager. But he'll be back in December, I think mid-December. So anyways, yeah, there's this new, somewhat new non-music version of Talking Metal on iTunes and iHeart, which is the main reason we're doing the non-music version. And then there also is a feed on, on iTunes where if you subscribe to it, you end up getting not only our show, but you get Victor's show and one-on-one with Mitch LaFon and everything kind of comes through one RSS so I'm not sure if I've done the right thing because I know it's kind of getting confusing for everybody with all these numerous outputs, iTunes, Spreaker. I was hesitant to even get on Spreaker, but it was important to Mitch LaFon, so I did. And I think it's been good for us. You know, we're, I don't know, 60,000 plays in only a three, three, four months, which isn't bad. I think that's good, right? Sounds good to me. And that's strictly on Spreaker. That doesn't even include our iTunes plays, which are through the roof lately guys and I appreciate all the support you've been giving us so yeah that's that anyways get into a little blue murder right now this is we all fall down we lost 
shaking on the street Your little sister's starving And there ain't no food to eat She's looking for the dealer She's trying to find some crack Well tell your little sister Mama won't be coming back Another form of suicide We recently interviewed Joe Lynn Turner on the podcast, who uh, is in a band called Rated X with a couple guys who were in Blue Murder, Carmine being one of them. Carmine actually doesn't play on that song we just heard, which comes off the Nothing But Trouble record. And Tony Franklin isn't uh, the main bass player on that record, although I do believe he plays on a couple songs but the the main lineup on the the nothing but trouble record is john sykes of course and marco mendoza on bass and tommy o stin on drums now the first blue murder record stay with me here guys was john sykes on guitar and vocals tony franklin on bass and carmine apiece on drums and those two guys tony and carmine are currently in a band with joe lynn turner who we recently featured on the podcast called rated x and i was turned on to this band rated x by neely from the classic metal show and i just wanted to briefly mention the classic metal show because I went on their show maybe a month or two ago. And, you know, it's it's no secret that those guys have been hating on us for, for quite some time. And we've been hating on them, or, you know, at least I have, somewhat behind the scenes. Because they've always kind of irked me and bothered me. And uh, it was good to finally, for me personally, talk to them and... And also share some emails back and forth with Chris Aiken, which led me to order his book, which I'm holding right in my hand right now. It's called Little Victories. And I just finished it. I just finished reading it. And I'll give you my honest opinion here, which, you know, I I still have mixed feelings about the whole classic metal show thing, because I I feel a lot of the things they've said about us through the years were unfair, sometimes completely false. And I feel sometimes just outright nonsense or lies. 
However, some of the things they said about us were pro- were true. And some of the stuff they said about us was hilarious. I didn't listen to all of it. I listened to them when they first started doing it nine years ago. But I must admit, over the past year, I've listened to quite a few shows. Not only the shows where they're hating on us, but just some of their shows in general. And I listen, I get it. I get why they've been around so long because they have something that whether you like it or not is unique. They do some good stuff. I don't love all their stuff. I don't like the politics. I obviously hate when they're doing stuff on Talking Metal. Usually, there's been a handful of times where I've heard them doing stuff where I've actually chuckled and smiled. And I don't want them to continue doing it. I suspect they they may. Maybe they won't. I don't know. You know, But whatever they want to do is, is their business. And like I said, it was good to talk with both of them. And... Uh, Neely, if you're listening, thanks for turning me on to Rated X. Love these guys. Freaking awesome. But back to Chris's book. Listen, this is my honest opinion. You know, I, I, listen, I would tell you if it fucking sucked. And it doesn't, man. It's a good book. I liked it. I picked it up thinking, well, I'll read what he says about me. And he definitely mentions me, which I could debate some of the stuff he says about me, but I won't. You know, it's one thing to have opinions. You know, he says I'm as stupid as a tree trunk in the book, which is cool. You know, Ian Christie, the one of the greatest heavy metal historians, told me just the opposite, that I do some of the smartest interviews he's heard. Even their good buddy Bob Nelbandian claims I do a good interview. So, But, uh, hey, I can take that. I can take it. But I just don't like misinformation that, that gets uh, put out there about me. And it's it's more an ego thing on my part. But I get it. Hey, it's with the territory. I've been doing this for nine years. They aren't the only ones who've uh, thrown shit at us. They've done it more than anybody else. But they aren't the only ones who've done it. And if they keep doing it, so be it. It's interesting. In the last year, I almost feel like when I'd listen to them critiquing us, this isn't always the case, because I, I believe for a long time it was Aiken who was the guy who freaking hated us so much. But I, in the last year, Neely has almost like bugged me more than than Aiken. When I, when I hear Aiken critiquing us in some of the more when, last year or two, the shows where they they critique us, I almost feel like he's, he sounds bored or something. And and Neely is the guy who gets all worked up. But whatever. Those guys, listen. What Say what you want about them. Some of you guys like them. Some of you guys hate them. Whether you like them or not, the guy's book is good. Chris Aiken's book is good. It's called Little Victories, A Tale of Divorce, Debauchery, and Finding Happiness. And as I read the book, you know, I went from thinking this guy is disgusting, he's an idiot, he's a jerk, to thinking this is really a nice guy and... I have a lot in common with him to feeling sorry for the guy. And I mean, that's kind of, it seems like his personality has so many different parts to it. And that's something I learned about him from the book. And it opened my eyes to who this guy is. And 
it's really not a book about the classic metal show or even about rock at all. It's a it's the story of you know a year of this guy's life that was a tough year, going through a divorce, losing his father, family issues, and again, you know, it's a it's a real good read, a quick read. It's a page turner. I couldn't put it down. I blew through it in like a week, and I'm a really slow reader, so. If you're interested, maybe you're going through a hard time, maybe you're going through a divorce or you're losing one of your parents or whatever, I, I recommend this book. might give you some comfort to hear of another guy who's going through similar stuff. And I think it's also an interesting lesson in letting go of, of things. You know, uh, we all see family feuds. We all see people entrenched in in hatred and and refusing to give in and life's too short that's the one thing man life's too short and i see stuff in my own family where i could probably start feuds and get get worked up with people but i don't cuz it's just not worth it and you only have one family and a good lesson from the book is Enjoy the time you have with your family because in, in the book, you know, Chris finally ends this feud with his parents. And then sadly, not long after that, like his, his father dies and it, it's sad when you read it in the book, you'll you'll definitely feel his pain. So there you go. Again, made a point not to talk about the classic metal show for nine years. Might be another nine years before I mention them again, but. Little Victories by Chris Aiken. Good read and nearly known as shit, turning me on to uh, Rated X. So maybe he's not so clueless after all. And in defense, my response to their their nine years of ragging on me and John and anybody else who happened to end up on our show. There's two sides to every story, guys. I, I feel that People can have different views and view things in, in you know different ways, have different feelings about different things. I feel like you can manipulate something like there's so many things I could go into here, but we'll use the PayPal as an example. You know, I, I probably hype that PayPal account and my Amazon links maybe on every third episode, every fourth episode, and I don't do it usually for more than two or three minutes. Unlike the podcast, one podcasts, the Corolla digital podcasts, you know, these guys who actually make a lot of money doing what they're doing. They, uh, they spend five minutes talking about this stuff. But if, if you were a listener of the classic metal show, you would think that that's all I do. Well, all I do is sit around and get completely wasted, you know, on on the podcast, which I rarely do. We did that sometimes back in the the old days. We still do it occasionally here and there, but it's a rare occurrence, to be honest. Um, and honestly, I've heard Neely wasted on the classic metal show, not often, but I have. And once where he was completely blitzed, and Aiken was like annoyed with him at the end of the show. It was years ago. And uh, Chris has definitely been, I think, probably more drunk than I've ever been doing a podcast. So 
uh, yeah, you, you can you can manipulate stuff, and which I think is something they have done a lot of with us. And listen, you know, they've had some good points about us, and they've made some good jokes about us too. A lot of it, I haven't dug, but but ten percent of the stuff I hear that they say about me, I actually actually makes me smile. Other stuff gets me fucking pissed off, you know, which is probably what they were hoping it would would do while they were doing it. So there you go, guys. I'm glad that I've had some conversation with them. And uh, listen, I don't know if I consider them friends, but I respect what they're doing. Anyways, that's it. Enough of those guys. Next book I think I'm reading is, well, I'm actually, I just started Game of Thrones, like 800 pages. So when I finally fucking finish that. I'm going to read The Drunk Diet by Luke Carl. Great guy. Love Luke. So a little more music here, and then we'll get into metal raps. This is Secret Door by Witch Hazel.
came out a couple years ago. Secret Door by Witch Hazel. Let's end today's show. Please use those Amazon links, guys. You go to TalkingMetal.com. And a lot of you guys are going to be doing some holiday shopping on Amazon. Just take that extra step to go to TalkingMetal.com. Use our Amazon link to open up Amazon. We get a little kickback on any purchase you make while you're on Amazon. Of course, it costs you nothing except one extra step, which is going to Talking Metal before you go to Amazon. And on that note, we're going to get into my one of my other podcasts. There's quite a few of them at this point. But this is called Metal Raps. Mitch Joel, Mark Striegel, and Mitch LaFon. Subscribe to it on iTunes because I don't always put it out on this, this feed, this Talking Metal feed. So do yourself a favor. Do me a favor. Subscribe to it on iTunes. It's just discussion about rock and metal among three guys. We talk about Guns N' Roses. What else, right, on this episode? All right, guys. Enjoy, and I'll talk to you next time. Well, hey there, everybody, and welcome to episode number six of Metal Raps. My name is Mitch Joel, and we're here, as always, with one-on-one with Mitch LaFon's Mitch LaFon. Mitch, how's it going? Good, good. Uh, Always great to do this. Good, and also as well with uh, Talking Metal's Mark Striegel. Mark, how goes? Good. Goes good. Good. So, go ahead. I was just going to say we've got so many great topics that we're, that's why we're just excited. We just want to jump in. You have to dive right in. I mean, I'm dying to ask Mark all about what it was like to go see the Ace Freely solo concert, but I'm going to hold back. I'm going to hold back. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about um, Guns N' Roses, Axl Rose, Reunion Rumors. Mark, starting with you, you're the one who brought this up. What's going on? I don't know. I mean, I think that's the big question. What is going on? Because there's this strange silence going on and it has caused the message boards and rumor mills to just kind of light up with speculation. There is people thinking that once again, maybe there is enormous money on the table for a reunion. And we've heard people like Eddie Trunk We've heard people like Mitch LaFon on his Facebook page hint that maybe the time is now, uh, the time for a a reunion is more likely to happen now than it was two two years ago. And I think that's exactly what Eddie Trunk said two years ago. He would have guessed that it could never, ever happen. But now he's hearing things that make it sound like maybe there is some talk going on. We saw Duff McKagan kind of fall temporarily back into the fold with Axel playing, I don't know, 10 live dates or something, uh, maybe four or five months back. And and maybe Duff is the guy who could bring everybody back together. I don't know, but I'm real curious and I'm always uh, excited by anything Guns N' Roses related and, uh, I don't know. I wanted to ask Mitch LaFon, yeah, who well, hinted on his fa- Facebook page about this. Well, listen, in the position I'm in, I hear a lot of rumors. Some turn out to be true. Some are just completely nonsense. But I've been hearing for months now about this 2016 uh, Use Your Illusion Guns N' Roses reunion tour with Gilby and Matt and Duff and, of course, Slash and all that. And... I I kept thinking, well, no, that's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. And then this year, the new Guns N' Roses sort of 
dissipated. You know, Bumblefoot went off and did something, and DJ Aspar went back to 6 a.m., and all of a sudden, the touring stopped, and you go, okay, that's kind of strange. Why would they suddenly stop? And, of course, Duff comes back, and, uh, you know, there, there's all kinds of signs that are pointing to this, oh, well, could it be? Maybe. And I've asked people that I, that I that I know and that know the band and so on and so forth. And the answers go from, you know, from two years ago, like Eddie Trunk was saying, which is no, not a chance, in, in, to huh, you never know what could happen. And you're like, well, wait a minute. You never know what could happen is not no. And so it, it's interesting. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see something going on in 2016. Um, you know? Is it is it that... Is it that you guys, and I say you guys because I'm not at all excited by this or not at all turned on by this, but is it is it because the fans would be excited by this? I wonder if it's sort of a done deal. I got the feeling that Axel waited so long and then came out with this, you know, real band, hit the road, you know, modicumous success. This was not anything that people would call a massive success. Maybe he stopped touring simply because he realized, you know, life on the road it wasn't as much fun as he remembered it when he couldn't really remember it. Right. Um, right. Slash seems somewhat busy with Miles Kennedy. I wouldn't say that it, it seems set. It does feel to me when I watch those videos on YouTube of Slash's work with Miles Kennedy, there is a GNR slant there that comes out more and more than his previous solo stuff, which leads me to believe that there might be some sort of desire on Slash's part to make this happen. Maybe Slash is getting tired of playing smaller venues. But the bigger question that I have is, will the audience be there? Will there really be an audience that would want to see this just because, and I think at the end of the day, we're really just talking about the fact that it really would be Axel and Slash. No yeah. offense to Duff. I mean, I think that Duff is still an integral part of, of, of that as well. I don't, I don't know, guys. I just don't know that even if they said, yeah, we're back and we're doing this, that there would be the care. I think it would have to be a triple, quadruple built, even come close to filling an arena. Wow. And I don't, I don't, I don't even yeah, know if the days I, of I, yours would, would, would pull it back. Well, I, I, I think it would be a huge sellout. Yeah, I think it would be stadiums, and I think there would be hundreds of millions of dollars on the table to do, do a tour of, of that original well, lineup or semi-original lineup. Well, well I've heard the, the illustrious $1 billion uh, mark as an offer. Now, you know, listen, at best this is conjecture because we're not there, but I've been in this long enough that when certain people start talking, I know that I have to believe them. So 2016 could be a very interesting year if you're a Guns N' Roses fan. And yeah, it's going to be way beyond arenas. I mean, it's either certainly stadiums in South America – and perhaps Australia and those kind of markets definitely sold out arenas across North America. I don't see that guy. I think you, wow. I mean, you guys are really bullish on this. I just can't imagine these guys playing a 50, 60,000 seaters. Uh, just, I just can't see it. I think it's been not only too long. I just think the work has been too disparate in between. I just, I can't imagine that. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of really shocked sitting here thinking that you guys really believe these guys will be able to do stadiums. Oh, That's yeah. well. Eddie Trunk said he believes they could do stadiums to start off and then go to, you know, arenas doing numerous nights in most cities. 
Wow. That was, that's what, what he thought. So. Oh, the I power agree. of Axel and Slash. It's amazing, though. Think about it this way, though. Think about the power of Axel and Slash together, and then think about the powerlessness of them apart. Yeah. I mean, they, they couldn't fill arenas when they were Guns N' Roses without Slash, and Slash clearly on his own is playing clubs. Well, they could, though, in certain towns. I mean, I, I saw Guns N' Roses post-Slash probably 20 times, and... In North Jersey, they could almost sell out an arena, you know, 20,000 seats. And every time they sold out in New York City. So true. I know in Los Angeles they sold out too. But then I had heard, you know, in Columbus, Ohio and stuff that they couldn't even get half the seats filled. It's so crazy to me. I think back to obviously the seminal year for me was 1987 and Appetite for Destruction. Mm-hmm. And – uh you know, my disappointment with the Use Your Illusion albums and as they became sort of more mainstream was, uh, and I listen, I'm a mainstream sort of rock guy. I mean, I really do like the pop metal and stuff, but there was something about Guns N' Roses. I, I'm specifically thinking about how, how much to shreds I tore a VHS version of Live at the Ritz yeah, in right. New York. And um, I saw them more times than I can count, interviewed them more times than I could probably count and just watching them sort of try to make things bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and my, my personal interest just waned more and more. I, I yearned for the days of just the four or five of them on stage tearing yeah. it up. I, that would yeah. be for me the best. Have you interviewed Axel, by the way? You know, it's funny because when we were prepping for the show, I was trying to – I can't remember. Is that, is that, does that tell you something about my life? Um, <laughs> I, I've interviewed them many times, and I, if I did interview Axel, it wasn't one-on-one. It was probably him and Slash or him and someone else. Right. It feels like I might have, but I, I, couldn't, I could not confirm and or deny. Yeah, because I, I yeah. I've interviewed the, the Guns N' Roses guy, you know, Slash and Duff and Gilby yeah. and all that stuff, but nowhere near Axel. I mean, to me, Axel just doesn't talk. Not doesn't talk. Well, he's he only doesn't done. talk in general. He's done two interviews basically within the last three, if you include the first time he was on Eddie Trunk, which was more of a guest appearance. But he did. Well, it was more of a call in. Yeah. I mean, he did the two Eddie Trunk interviews. He did the uh, Jimmy Kimmel interview. And then he's done some kind of like interviews with Del James that they panned off his interviews. So there's, there's only been the amount of interviews with Axel in the last 20 years. You could probably count on both hands. I mean, one hand, probably. It's probably speaks, one hand. Yeah. It also speaks to a pre-Twitter and social media era, which I sort of miss and lament at the same time. This, uh, this sort of mystery of the lead singer. You know, I, yeah. it, now it's like everyone's expected to tweet and share on Instagram. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I live and breathe that world, but I do somewhat miss the mystery of like there'd be an article in Circus Magazine. You'd be like, why is it? Where's Axel? You know, like, I yeah. sort of I, I always love that when when certain artists and Axel was one of them. He just had a real yeah. good vibe to him that you wanted that sort of mystery to linger but you know with all that what i find most interesting is and it's really timely as well as mark Cantor wrote a great biography called reckless road that came out in 2007 which was you know basically him spending a ton of time with slash who's a friend of his uh mark Cantor, actually for those who who are interested he actually does own Cantor's deli in la which is his thing but grew up with slash and so he was there 
through that whole process and watch him become rock stars. It was just announced that they're going to be turning his book, Reckless Road, into a biopic. And I guess all of the, the interesting diatribes online are about, well, is this going to be like that sort of cheesy Def Leppard one that was done with a bunch of nobodies? Or is this going to be like a real sort of biopic? And of course, he's claiming this is going to be all A-listers and stuff like that. And I guess the, the amusing part of this would be to try and figure out who should be cast as who in this mess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well. I will say one one last thing on Axel uh, before we move on that you know the press deemed that the whole Chinese democracy thing is is such a failure and you know it was a disgrace and we're, I'm not talking about the quality of the music which I personally thought was good. However, it did sell close to two hundred and fifty thousand copies its first week, and that of course the press deemed a failure. Whereas just this week the Foo Fighters came out and sold about the same actually less yeah, and less. that that was a big smashing success yeah. so I, I do think the press just don't like axel without slash by his side and and, and target him for well i uh, think you know for, mark but to be fair there's also probably some sort of sentiment around this idea that people bought it off of the sort of curiosity factor versus when you're the foo fighters you're buying it off of the fan factor i mean it's been so long the gap between Chinese democracy and who knows what was before it, right? Yeah. And and that I think what they were trying to say is that you would think for a band of that size and stature finally coming back, it would push so much more. And Foo Fighters have been consistently releasing stuff for a while. And yeah. also, let's not forget that as the years go on, and even though it's only been a couple of years, in between those two releases, Chinese democracy and the new Foo Fighters, the industry continues to change dramatically. Like streaming is way more relevant than it was even a year ago. So... I'm not, I'm not trying to defend them, and I think you're right, right. about journalists. I just think that based off of the fact that this was the long-lost Guns N' Roses album that you know, again, you guys claim these guys will sell at stadiums for, it, it, it's surprising that that was really all the interest. And it's it well, most well, dives yeah, after that. He did zero press. He did zero press. If he would have done press and he would have, there would have sure. been a big campaign and machine behind it, he, he could have doubled that number. But However, he chose not to. in the room, though. It was a Best Buy only release, and the Best Buys in Canada didn't uh, have it. And if you go to the States, Best Buy is in major markets. There's no, you know, I went over to upstate New York and stuff. There was no Best Buy in Messina, New York. People there could not purchase it. So had it been actually released like the Foo Fighters now on Amazon and through all normal retailers, that 250 probably would have been 400 or 500. So uh, there was also the factor that it was just not viable for a large portion of uh, the, the population. Hey, I thought we, we'd switch topics and yes. talk a little bit about ACDC. And, uh, you know, Absolutely. this whole Phil Rudd thing has been, you know, it's been played out in the media and it's sort of a strange thing with now most charges being dropped against the drummer and things like that. What I found most interesting about this is that we've seen similar things take place in Canada. We had a very well-known radio personality, John Gomeshi, accused of uh, all sorts of stuff with women. And, and, and everybody dropped him from the bands he was managing to the CBC, which is the National Broadcaster, to his manager that's been with him to forever. Work, to his every, uh, every, publishing but, house. But, but what, what happened at the beginning is people stood by him, and it was a sort of you're innocent until proven guilty. What I found really interesting about the ACDC story is that, boy, did the guys take a tough stance on this guy. I mean, they were basically like, he's got to figure his stuff out. This is not the guy we knew. I mean, they 
they did not stand by their brother at all in this scenario. Right. And I, th- I was wondering what you guys thought of, of that side of the media circus, not whether or not the guy's guilty or innocent. I think they saw it coming because even though they claim they didn't and they saw it play out in the media just like everyone else, you know, a month earlier, they mysteriously decided to shoot a video without him. And they also did press photos and, and promo photos without him. So it seems were, as though he was already kind of on their shit list. Yeah. And they were quick to to announce that the tour was going on without him. I mean, who has a bandmate that's injured in jail, uh, you know, having difficulties? And right away, your first press release is, we're going on without him. I mean, you know, I I don't think I think that what happened probably was more of a relief to them, more like, oh, thank God we don't have to deal with him. This must have been brewing for years. You don't become Phil Rudd at his advanced age and then suddenly develop, you know, a need for hookers and drugs and all kinds of stuff. This must Hitman. have been, yeah, hit me. I mean, <laughs> the this, minor part that Mitch left out there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, alleged hitmen. So exactly. we're, we're covered legally. But, um, you know, this must have been 5, 10, 15, 20 years in the making. And you sort of just keep a lid on it and go, Shh, just get on the bus, just get on the bus, let's just do the tour. And now it comes out and you go, oh, all right, forget it. All right, bye, Phil. <laughs> We talk about this a lot, actually, both on the show and just when we're hanging out, this, yeah. this sort of thing where we're all such fans of the music. And it's hard to watch them get old. It's hard to watch them get a little too crazy. I mean, I, when I think about ACDC as more of – I mean, you guys are way more fanatical than I am now. I'm, I consider myself way more of a passive music fan now. Uh, and I think about just – like when I zoom out 30,000 feet, I think about you know Malcolm Young – and dementia, and then I think about this, and I think about the pictures when you see how sort of oldish they look, and right. it, it, it's sort of it's hard as a music fan to realize that a band like ACDC, which by the way I think could play stadiums, <laughs> um, and will, and will, and yeah. will, um, that like it's sort of like are we coming to the? I hate to say this, but it feels like we're coming to the end of something. Not that like oh they're back and there's just like the stones and they're just going to keep going. It feels like endy ish, and it makes me upset. Yes, I, I agree. I, I think we're getting to that point with a lot of the bands that we grew up with, the Kiss and the Aerosmith and the Cheap Tricks and ACDC, where the gas tank is is just about on empty. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah. You know, I, I just don't see. The relevance of Kiss going into 2017 or 2018. I don't see Steven Tyler going further. I, you know, I think uh, I think the new generation is is going to take over, and your Black Veil brides are are going to fill the gaps for the next 10, 15, 20 years. And the bands that we grew up loving, well, we'll have to go back to the album that we bought when we were 12 and just listen to it over and over and over again. I, I, it, so, it sounds like we're all, the three of us are going to have to hit one of those cruises soon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, the, the, well an question, ACDC cruise could be fun. Apparently, there'd be all kinds of hookers and booze. So. And, hit, and alleged hitmans. <laughs> alleged hitmans, yeah. So maybe you know, they should cruise. The, the one question I always think of with these bands like ACDC, who the first time I saw them was 1985, by far one of the – I've seen hundreds and probably thousands of rock concerts. Yep. It was one of one of the top three concerts that I've ever seen. That was in 1985 on the Fly on the Wall tour. Mark, and I've seen crazy. them. Go, keep going. And then I'm going to tell my crazy story. Go. Yeah, but <laughs> um, they've consistently gotten – 
less energetic on stage, less powerful. They don't sound as good. Every, you know, I've been seeing them since 1985 every time they come through. And and part of me wonders, would would it have been better for some of these bands to, like Zeppelin, to just not try to do it again? You know, leave the legacy at, at, at how great it was and, and not water it down and, and let the legacy get old. I mean, one of the reasons we think Marilyn Monroe is so beautiful, it's because we never got to see her grow old. And, and yeah. some of the best rock bands, I think the same thing goes goes for them. Yeah, you know, but, Jimi Hendrix or whatever, The Doors. But, but look at B.B. King, look at Chuck Berry, look at some of those guys. They're still delivering the goods. Uh, eh, it's not the same. I don't, I don't know about uh, that, but uh, uh, I mean, Chuck Berry. Uh, that's a perspective, but not mine. Uh, but, but Mark, speaking of that's funny because when we were, start, we were going down that road, I was trying to remember what was the best ACDC show I ever saw, and it was also Fly on the Wall. But I'll tell you something interesting. I don't know if you remember this tour. This tour did not sell well at all. I mean, no? these, okay. these, these, these hockey arenas and, and, and sort of, I guess for you guys it would be yeah, probably hockey arenas too in the States. They were like, you know, three quarters. It was not a packed arena. In fact, I remember walking, heading to the show, a very funny story. I was walking to the show and a scalper pulled me over and said, hey, hey, you need tickets to ACDC? I'm like, no, no, I'm good. And he's like, hey, come on. Like they only come by every six months or so. It was like the joke because like they were touring so much and there's the energy for the band, especially at that time, had, had sort of started to somewhat dwindle in, in that in that yeah. vein. But I, I'm with you. That was one of the best ACDC shows I'd ever seen. So that's why my jaw dropped when you said that. I'm like, what are the odds? So it turns yeah. out Mark and I are brothers from another mother. Who knew? Yeah, there um, you go. And quickly uh, on, on stadiums, uh, there, is a, there is rumors that there will be a 2015 stadium tour and uh, – I think that's unfortunate. Bands and stadiums should not go together, especially well, in Montreal. Want, they don't want you to go close to them because then you'll see the truth. That's why they put them on stadium stages. I'm just kidding. I but, kid. But just sonically, <laughs> you can't hear anything. Maybe yeah. it's just because in Montreal, our Olympic Stadium is just so horrible for anything that you can't get an experience. But I just can't see how a stadium in you know Brazil with 100,000 people could be any better. It just, it just doesn't sound right. It smells open air to me. Last topic really quickly that I found super interesting this week while we we're talking about all these iconic bands is Ozzy. I can't believe this. They're going to come back with the Osbournes. They're doing like a handful of shows. Sharon announced this. It won't be on MTV. It'll be on VH1, although it's owned by the same parent company. Um, yeah, this is a show that really sort of broke the mold and actually set a trajectory, I really believe, for a whole bunch of different types of reality shows, not just music yeah. ones like Gene Simmons' uh, Family Jewels, but just the whole genre of like being in people's lives and living rooms like that. Um, and here they are trying to do it again. We're also in a world where reality TV has evolved so much. A lot of it is somewhat scripted or sort of story-based. Like, you know, okay, it may not be reality because like this week we're going to go to a pet store and do all this sort of stuff or whatever. Um, what do you guys – I'm sort of like I'm on the edge of my seat going like I'm on – I'm not sure which side I fall on on this. On one side, I'm like I'd love to see Ozzy clean and doing his thing. On the other side, I'm like I don't know if I want to go back there. It's sort of like what you said. I remember it so well in my memory. It's a great moment in time. Uh, Mitch, what do you think? Boy, it's really going to depend what they focus on. I mean let's not forget that Jack, uh, you know, Ozzy's son – uh, has MS, and so will they focus on just this is all going to be about this medical thing? Is it going to be scripted? Because the first season of the Osbournes we all loved. The ones that came after, we all went, oh, what is that? So can, can they catch that first season excitement again, or are we sort of all going to sit here and go, oh, 
I can hear the script turning. Go to the next page. I don't know. It's got. It's going to have to be scripted. I can't imagine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sort of excited by it, but like you said, it really was the springboard to all these other things. And we're talking from you know Survivor to Amazing Race to all the stuff on Bravo. It sort of all came from the Osbournes. So that stuff know. was a lot. That stuff was a lot before, but I think more of the the in house reality right. shows, well, like well, the Real Housewives and stuff like that, really came out of that. Yeah. You. That. Well. That, that's, that's in fact true. And. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm going. I'm a little too burnt out on all those kind of programs. We'll see. I'm looking forward to it. Anything Aussie's kind of cool. So it's rubbernecking. Mark? It's it's amazing that he's doing it after for the past decade or more talking about how he wish wished he would have never done it in the first place and right. that it was a mistake and that w- w- it was embarrassing and that's not the real me uh, you know and then i did remember reading an interview with him where he said the the power of television is amazing and he said before he was on the osbornes he could you know, he would get noticed, but he could still go to ShopRite or to Kmart and, and buy some things and, and not need a team of security around him. Uh, but he said after that show, he he really became a household name where grandmas were coming up to him and knew who he was and it, it changed everything. So part of me wonders if, OK, he said he doesn't like doing it. So maybe he wants to come back in a sober state and do it that way and show people that side of him. However, it probably plays more into him gearing up for the end of his career here and, and getting some major, major exposure for what's coming up with black Sabbath, the final tour, the final record. And probably right after that, he'll do the same as the Aussie solo artist, you know, the, the end of that career. uh, Since we were, since we started the show with rumors, let me finish the show with rumors. I've heard that a Aussie, Vegas residency is coming in 2015. So perhaps it's going to be to spark some interest in this Vegas residency. Who knows? And then full circle because GNR did that too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll be there next week for next next Saturday and Sunday for the KISS res- residency. Oh, you're Actually, going? Just, yeah, I'll be there on Saturday for KISS and then I'm going to see Red Dragon Cartel at uh, the Count's uh, Custom or what is it? The Vamps. Yeah, yeah Vamps. Vamps, it's called. Yeah, I'm going well, to see you them. Give, you, you give the singer and Red Cartel, Darren, a big hug for me. We're, we go back to the harem scarum days together. Oh, excellent. Yeah. We'll do yeah. Hey, before we skip out, I thought what I would do is just ask each of you really quickly what you're listening to, what's sort of been turning your crank this week. Mitch, what do you, what do you, what do you even listen to? What's been big on your list? Oh, wow. wow. Just, I have just been uh, overtaken by this band called Gothard out of Sweden. Uh, still. You're still out on of, that. Out of Switzerland, <laughs> I should say. Yeah. And uh, I've been listening to uh, Jeff Scott Soto's uh, latest project called Wet W period E W period T. Uh, they have three albums, and I've been listening to a lot of that. And then I've been doing some some show prep for one on one. I've been listening to uh, Savile Row that uh, Troy Lucchetti of Tesla put out. Heat that uh, features Eric Grunwald, who was a Swedish Idol winner back in two thousand nine. So. Yeah, I'm just I'm still very much into the Gothard thing. They they have so much music over the last 20 years that I never really listened to, so I'm sort of cramming 20 years into 3 months. And of Mark, course, the new Moist. Oh, good, good. Mark, what are you listening to? Uh Bruce Boyer 
formerly of Racer X yeah. and Scream, has a great new solo record out, all instrumental. And, you know, it's got the, the, the heavy metal side to it, but it, you know, branches out over into jazz fusion and neoclassical and stuff too. It's called the, the order of control instrumental record, Bruce Boyer, uh, great stuff. Loving that. Ronnie Monroe has a new record out. The former singer of metal church called electric wake, which is also quite good. Those are two, uh, Heavy metal records, I'm currently Mark, digging. Mark's diving deep. I'll tell you what, what, what caught my attention. I do a ton of music streaming on both RDO and Spotify, and I came across Night Ranger, 24 strings, and a drummer live and acoustic. And uh, I got to tell you, it's been, uh, I've, been, I've, been, I've been sneaking back to it every other day going, ah, what, what is it about this album? I always loved the band. I always thought they were great. I think songs like Goodbye and Sister Christian still, as much as that one was overplayed, are just great. And they sound amazing. These guys, they can just sing and still kill it. And uh, yeah, that, that's been my pick of the week. So more cool. mellow than the other two. Hey guys, thanks so much for doing this. We'll be back with Metal Raps number seven really, really soon. Until then, my name is Mitch Joel. You can always find me at, at Mitch Joel on Twitter. Uh, Mark and Mitch, I'll start off with Mark. Let people know where they can find you. Yeah, TalkingMetal.com and uh, we're on Facebook. My personal Facebook is uh, Facebook.com slash Striegel. That's M-S-T-R-I-G-L. Mitch? Yeah, you know, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Mitch Lafon. And of course, Facebook is facebook.com forward slash Mitch dot Lafon. So join me. A lot of fun conversation going on at, in both places. And we'll, we'll catch up with everyone else soon with another episode of Metal Raps. Thanks, guys. Thank you.